Amanda, welcome to Mormon Discussion Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great, Bill. How are you? Awesome, awesome. Grateful for the chance to have you on. Uh, we're going to use just Amanda's first name today. She's going to tell her story about uh, not only her growing up and, and where things are at now, but but talk about her mission, which, which the whole point in this podcast today to the listeners is to kind of show you that the the younger generation of Mormons, the the Latter Day Saints who who are in their twenties, that they're thinking about the gospel in a different way and they're approaching the gospel differently, and and it's going to be neat to kind of contrast in some ways Amanda and other folks like her, uh, this younger generation, with with say the the seventy year olds in my high priest group, and and I think for the listener who's going to church every Sunday and sitting through the three hours. They're gonna, you're gonna notice kind of these, these distinctions that are made. And, and again, Amanda, just grateful for the chance to have you on. I, I wonder if you could just give kind of a brief bio of yourself before we kind of jump into the interview so people can begin to get kind of a feel for you. So right now I'm 20 years old. I grew up here in Southern Utah, went to Institute, did the whole young women's thing, went to girls camp, beehive president, Laurel president, that whole shebang, went to all years of seminary. Um, I went, did a little bit of college before my mission, and I did some institute. And just recently, I got back from the New Jersey Morristown mission. Um, I spoke Spanish, and I've been home for about two months now. Awesome. You said you did a little bit of uh, a college. What kind of field were you beginning to think about going into, or had you gone into? Um, the plan is uh, psychology, actually. I The goal is to be a marriage th- family therapist, just because I love talking with people about their problems and, and trying to help the families out, you know? Right, People pretend right. like there's not a huge need for that, but there kind of is. My, my perception has been, you know, living here in southern Utah myself, as I look around it, you know, half the population are, are Latter-day Saints and they're going to church and they're they're participating in their wards and stakes, that, that we sometimes on the surface kind of hide those issues, but I think there's a real need, and so just want to say like honor the fact that that's the field you're going into and I think there's a lot of good work to be done. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm definitely really excited about it. So, I want to start off just maybe tell the listeners a little bit about your growing up and and I I think I think your uh your childhood or your youth is is a little different maybe than the traditional member. I, I know that that you grow up kind of in a in a unique household. I wonder if maybe you could just give the listeners a feel for the kind of atmosphere you grew up in and and specifically um, maybe the rigidity, orthodoxy versus unorthodoxy and, and opportunity to kind of question and think about things. Okay. So, um, I, my whole family's members, very active in the church Sunday, go to church every, every week. But like you said, it wasn't too, too much of a typical growing up. Typical Sunday afternoon, we come home from church, change into our jammies, and we sit down at the dinner table and we start discussing the first vision, the the multiple versions or Mountain Meadows Massacre or Lucinda Harris, Joseph's third wife. We'd all just talk and discuss, see how we were feeling about it. So not too orthodox when it came to to our family discussions. Um, For family home evening, we would... Um, discuss and debate what we thought about different topics in the church, LGBT, just different, different issues that came up on a very regular basis. I was definitely raised to, to talk and discuss about these things instead of question in our, just like, and not like kind of push it down and hide those questions. I was definitely raised to, 
to explore and expand and do everything possible to expand our understanding of these issues and to recognize the imperfection in the church and the leaders in in the world. And so I think that really helped me. It was fun. Say we were watching general conference. We watched it every, every session, but probably not too typically. We would sit there and watch it for a couple minutes as a family. And then my dad would hit pause and say, kids, do you believe what was just said? Do you believe that was true? And we could either say yes or no. And if we said no, he said, okay, that's good. Or sure. Or let's debate it. Right. And, and I think it's at least of note to mention, you mentioned like getting ready for dinner on Sunday in your jammies. I, I think the traditional Mormon family, right? All the guys just stay in their white shirts all day. Um, they're clean pressed white shirts and, and the women probably stay in their dress all day. But you guys, you guys were getting into your pajamas. Yikes. Do people actually do that? Yeah, I think, I think, no, man. I think most Mormons are, are staying in their church clothes all day. I think that's a sign of being like a better Mormon. Maybe that's why everybody's like so uptight because they got their clothes on still, man. <laughs> so you guys would sit around and and your parents would ask you like what happened at church and give you a chance to talk about what you learned that Sunday and and to kind of review what things were said true and what things were not. Um, am I getting that right? Yeah, absolutely. And and so how did that impact you? Like so you have these conversations as a as a child and as you're growing up. And, and now let's, let's fast forward just a little bit, not necessarily talk about the experience of your mission or coming home, but, but in terms of like where you're at with that, like how's that shaped you in, in looking at, uh, paradoxes in the church and handling those? Um, well, I think it, I think it shaped me completely. We were, I was raised to believe that paradoxes, the paradoxes in the church and the gospel are beautiful, that, Nothing, nothing is black and white in this life, in the gospel, and nothing. And so I think that's really helped me as, not only in the church, but in school, as I've, as, as I've seen that leaders and people just aren't, aren't perfect, that people are gonna let you down, and, and stories that you've been taught are true, just, like, like they can't historically be true. Um, so I think it's really helped me, um, kinda develop this inner authority, this, confidence in in my god and instead of instead of like the leaders and and other things around me but it's just really helped me gain this confidence in in what i really do believe and and who my god is yeah incredible having having been raised that way to question to think to be able to kind of stand up and and dissent against something that's said that you just don't hold in your gut to be true like how does somebody that's raised that way still get excited and be persistent about serving a mission? I've always been really excited about going on a mission. Um, I was raised from a really young age, um, taught by my parents that a mission was not about going out and making more Mormons, not in the slightest. Um, and even Russell and Nelson in the most recent general conference talk said that the purpose of missionaries is not to increase the members, the numbers of members in the church. And so I was just taught and raised to believe that that missions were about loving people and serving people and helping people on their own level and just helping them from where they are. And so in getting excited about a mission, I was excited to go love and be with different people that I hadn't ever been around. I mean, I went to New Jersey Spanish speaking, so I was dealing with all these different cultures of different kinds of Hispanics and, and it was so fun. It was, it was in preparing. I was, 
it was just exciting. I was just so excited to, to go spend time with different kinds of people and learn from them and teach them and have them teach me. That's, that's incredible. It seems like you're saying almost that, that whereas I think the average person going on a mission says, Hey, I'm a Mormon. I have the truth. The rest of the world needs this truth. I got to bring them in. And so I'm going to go on a mission to try to convert them. But you take this different attitude where you go out on a mission and your whole goal is that we're all God's children. Let's just love each other and serve each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's impressive. What I want to hit on is this idea that I think there's always a difference, even for someone like you who's raised kind of seeing the nuance of the church and of the gospel. There's always these expectations that people hold at the beginning of their mission versus the end of their mission. And I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on maybe the expectations you held when you first went off on your mission and maybe if any of those changed at all during the, the course of your mission. Well, like I said, I went into the mission ex- not not with the goal to baptize, but to just love and, and serve the people. And so as I entered the mission, I was actually blessed a ton uh, with my mission president and his wife. I don't even think of them as mission president and wife. I think of them as mission presidents because they, they work together and they just had had the common goal of teaching us how to love the people that we that we were serving. And so I wasn't in, I wasn't thrown into this big we're only here to baptize, let's make more Mormons kind of culture in the mission, but I was thrown into this loving, serving atmosphere. And so my my expectations weren't actually too different. And just as I progressed throughout my mission, it just um it just solidified that that desire to love and 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 keep serving these people. So I was I was pretty lucky that my expectations weren't actually that different. Gotcha. And that is good. It it is good. It shows that you went in with kind of more of an awareness of what it was going to be like. I I do you did mention this idea of the mission president and his wife being this team and working together and and I am curious in terms of the church if you go back, you know, 5 years ago or 10 years ago, uh, maybe even less than that, 3 years ago, there was a certain way that a mission operated and just like the rest of the church, it was a very patriarchal uh, uh, organization, even even in the mission field. And yet, as you're noting, there's some differences that have occurred in the last few years. And I wonder if you can help some of us who are a little older and we're used to seeing the church operate a certain way, if you can maybe share with us how the sisters, whether it be the mission president's wife or the other sister missionaries who are out there, what kind of increased roles are the sisters being given? When they changed the age a couple of years ago, they um, created a new calling for sisters. They're called sister training leaders. And what they do is they work a lot closer with the sisters and they, it's a leadership position. And so um, in my mission, I was able to serve in that, in that leadership position. And I noticed that instead of it being like this big patriarchy thing, that the sisters' opinions and, and their work and everything they did was a lot more respected than it probably typically was back back a few years ago. But my mission president's wife, she just set the standard for it all. Our mission president wouldn't do anything without talking to his wife about it and seeing her opinion. And and they were just a perfect example of working together as a team and, and believing that they were equal and knowing that they were. Did, did it... F- did it feel to you like they were equal? Like when you watch them operate, it sounds like you're saying it even felt and looked and it behaved like they were equal. Um, is that the case? Yes, absolutely. And, and would you say too, like, I want to get the, your thoughts on just like you and, and the other sisters and the elders who are serving. 
Did you feel like that was kind of on an equal level as well, or, or were there still some differences? Um, there were still some differences here and there. There were some elders that liked to use their, I have the priesthood and you don't, so I'm going to tell you what to do kind of thing, you know? But for the most part, it was pretty, we were pretty well respected and, and looked at equally. So talk a little bit about your mission president and his wife. Like, like what kind of uh, atmosphere did they set? What were kind of their expectations? And, and how did you thrive or not thrive within that? So their expectations were for us to, for us was to serve. His huge, their, their huge push was to serve others. And so one thing that I just loved about them is that they would never, if there was a person to be served, they would never allow a rule to get in front of serving that person. Let, let me, let me jump in and just ask too, like, did you ever sense that your mission was about numbers? Did you ever sense that your mission president and his wife, that they were concerned with, with getting baptisms and that you guys were really being held to trying to, to grow the church? I mean, there was, there was definitely a, a goal to baptize and to, to increase the church and strengthen the church over there in New Jersey, but that was never the most important thing. It was never, let's baptize, let's baptize, let's baptize. It was, let's love these people, let's learn how to serve them and to become more like Christ, and let's baptize them along the way, kind of thing. Do you have any personal examples in terms of your mission president and his wife and in ways that they would interact with you guys so that the kind of t- tone that they would set for what their expectations were, or or what did they do different that that kind of uh, gave you guys the impression that look, what they want us to focus on is just to love and serve others. Well, a big part was that we were required to do three to ten service hours a whole in, in one week, and so if we weren't out teaching a lesson, if we didn't have a set appointment, they wanted us out interacting with the people. And serving them. A lot of times, if they, my mission president or his wife, if they had free time, they would come out and do service with us or come talk with people with us or visit people. And so, and they just brought this sense of, of love and compassion and just pure charity for these people. And so it was a really awesome example for us to see how they just, they were just so focused on the people. So talk a little bit about your mission in terms of the wards you're going to and, and kind of what what dynamics they're made of and, and what maybe like church was like on, on an average typical Sunday? Well, I served in a variety of different units. I only served in one ward my whole mission, um, but for the most part, I was in very small branches. One of my branches, there was only about 20 people that went every Sunday. So it was very interesting seeing the different dynamics of these people just coming together, these converts, um, just about every single member that I dealt with in New Jersey, adult member, was a convert. I only met one generational mem- Mormon. So it was just, it was so beautiful to see that the church was such a, a new thing for them and that by them coming together and just doing what the little that they knew how to do, but being so driven by their love for Christ and for their, their passion for the gospel, how they were able to make these tiny little branches function and to just be so concerned about each other and, and loving each other. And as you're hitting on some of it, there's, as I sit here, you know, coming from Ohio in a smaller ward, about 120 or so would show up on a Sunday. And, and now I'm out here in Southern Utah and, 
And these folks, these are multi-generational Mormons. They've, they've lived in these same neighborhoods forever. There's, there's a certain mindset you seem to find kind of in, in these heavily LDS areas. And yet the mission field is so different. Any other kind of like things that separate maybe the wards you grew up in in Utah versus being out in the mission field? Yeah, there was a huge difference when it came to certain things. In the branch of 20 people that I served in, there was such a um, a need for priesthood holders that um, these men would, would hurry and get off work for just a, an hour or two so that they could come and bless and pass the sacrament. They'd do it in their work clothes and their jeans or in their polo shirts or whatever they could, whatever they could make it to church in. And so I thought it was just such a, a, a beautiful thing because it was so pure. It was, that's the gospel. It doesn't matter what color of shirt you're wearing. But that was one of, that was probably one of the biggest just ways that I was able to see that they just, it didn't matter who they were or who their, what their last name is or the house they grew up in. It, it just mattered that they were there and that they wanted to be there and that they just wanted to, to love and help each other out. Um, the quote you shared earlier with Elder Nelson kind of leading on that, that this isn't about numbers. And often you hear in the church that a mission is really about the missionary. I'm just curious, Amanda, like what are some of the things like you personally feel like you developed during those 18 months, things that you learned, th- skills that you you developed, things you think now that you can handle better or um, can deal with better? Like what are some of those things that you see as like personal growth within you? One of the things that I think I was really able to begin developing on my mission was charity, was this pure love for people that it didn't, it didn't matter their race or their sexuality or anything like that. It was just, I learned to just turn outward, to not think more of myself than them and to just see them as equals as, as my brothers and sisters and to just love them and to, to sincerely care about them. Some skills I think I developed. Um, I think I'm a lot better at talking with people and actually listening to to them. A skill I, I believe that I developed um, was being able to work with a whole bunch of different kinds of people. Um, in the short year and a half I was out, I had 12 different companions, actually 13. I had 13 different companions, um, each one of them completely different, and each one of them taught me different communication skills, whether it was me needing to talk more to them or helping them talk more to me or, or listening better. And so a communication skill, I, I, I really learned how to communicate with different kinds of people on their level. Um, whether I was talking to a very TBM, a very black and white Mormon, or whether I was talking to a gay member who was trying to make it work, being able to adapt my communication and my compassion for these people. You, you go through 18 months of a mission and and you come home and coming home off a mission is again i didn't serve so i'm i'm only saying this from hearing these things from others but that it's quite an adjustment that has to be made and and so you come home and there's adjustments to make and so i'm curious like what adjustments you you did make like like what were some of the things that you kind of had to work through coming home and and differences perhaps from the way things were in your mission to now landing back in southern Utah and and being thrown back into the midst of a really strong Mormon community. Mhm. Actually, I did I did serve for 19 months. I decided at the end of my mission that I wanted to 
stay an extra month and, and help the mission out in any way I could. So I, I got to stay and help train um, different sets of sisters, and so that was really special to me. But actually, um, one of the hardest parts of coming home was going to church because I had spent 19 months in New Jersey loving these people, seeing these this pure, beautiful part aspect of the gospel. And then I come home, and one of my first lessons back in church, we talked about the lifespan of a water bottle because we were talking about food storage and preparation for the second coming. And I'm sitting there like, okay, the lessons on preparing for the second coming, like let's talk about Jesus and how we can make ourselves ready to see him. Not about water bottles, you know? Like, come on! I was dying. It, it does seem odd, doesn't it, that, that we, we spend so much time on these, these tangents, and, and yet it feels like sometimes there's so little of, of Christ in what we're doing. And I get it, all these things are important. But like you say, when we talk about the second coming, it's like we spend all of our energy worrying about this event that may or may not happen in our life. It may or may not affect us at this moment or even 10 years from now or 50 years from now. There, it feels like maybe there's other things that we could discuss or hit on. And I'm curious, like, what were some of the topics you talked about out there on your mission that, that you felt like, man, we're really connecting to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Probably my favorite lesson to teach people and talk with them about was prayer and understanding how personal prayer is and how sacred it is. Um, because a lot of the people I was I taught and dealt with were Catholics or inactive Catholics, and so they were raised to believe that prayer is just this repetition and this repetitive thing that we do. And in talking with these people, I realized that a lot of times, us as Latter-day Saints, it's so easy to fall into that as well, this repetitive duty to say a prayer. Um, but as I sat down with him and talked to, talked to them and discussed with them what prayer really is, that it really is just us talking with God and us opening our hearts and that if we're not going to say a sincere prayer, we shouldn't say a prayer, you know? It was probably my favorite gospel topic to talk about with them. That and understanding that they really were a child of God. And that God was their father and he made them. And no matter their situation or who they were, the trials that they had, that he had made them and, and that he made them exactly he, how he wanted them to be. Awesome. Awesome. And I think that's so important. Like whether someone joins the church or not, at the end of the day, like you say, who cares that the, the world doesn't need more Mormons? But there's this idea that like if you can just help somebody feel better about themselves and, and feel encouragement to even, you know, to make an effort to be better to the, you know, to themselves and to others. Like that's real success. Something really big that my mission president pushed is the phrase that we are not here to replace their faith. So when I found somebody, when I knocked on somebody's door and they said, Oh, are you here to baptize me? I was able to say, No, I'm, I'm not. We're not here to baptize you, but we're here to help you understand your faith and expand your faith, grow the faith that you already have in Jesus Christ. And so it just made it so much more about, it made the mission so much more about Jesus and understanding our relationship with him and our faith in him than making sure we baptized everybody we met. And, and I think often people will say those things, but it's a whole other story when you actually feel it as a missionary, that you're not there to get them in the waters, but just to help make their life better. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Awesome. I, I want to ask you some other questions kind of aside from your mission and, and the adjustments you made coming home. I, I just want to get a better feel for, for Amanda and who she is and, and how she arrives at things. And, and so the first question I wanted to ask you was, was kind of like, what do you see as your sources of truth? Like if you, I know you consider yourself a truth seeker. What are the sources for you to kind of go out and gather that truth in? In growing up and in searching for answers and searching for guidance, um, I was much more focused on my relationship with God um, and whether or not we were on the same page. Um, and my dad also really helped me in, in finding different ways to to find answers. Um, I was raised in a way that I never felt uncomfortable going to my dad with any kind of question. Um, my dad has a ton of books. And so as I question Mountain Meadows or as I question polygamy or all of these different things, I not only was able to, to go to the scriptures, but I was also able to read different books and to study them and, and pray and question them and doubt them and, and just kind of have an, an intellectual adventure on my own kind of between me and God. So I loved, I loved questioning and doubting and, and trying to expand my understanding and my, my, my own conversion as I, as I grew up. Do, do you feel comfortable disagreeing with your parents? Absolutely. If I agreed with my parents on everything, they would, they would know I wasn't being honest. And so, yes, as I, yeah, I'm definitely encouraged to disagree when I disagree and, and to share what I believe and, and explain, be able to explain why I believe that. Do, do you feel comfortable disagreeing with a church leader? Well, um, I guess it depends on, on which one. If I ever disagreed with my mission president, I felt more than, I felt very comfortable telling him that I, didn't agree or that I could, I thought this way was better. When I was getting my temple recommend interview right before I left on my mission, I was talking with my state president and of course, naturally he started expounding on the temple recommend interview questions. And we were talking about the word of wisdom or something. And I asked him about like whether sweet tea or iced tea or something was okay. And he, and he just started doing his, you know, Amanda, we believe this and this and this. And I was like, okay, well, I don't think we're going to get anywhere. So, okay. It depends on the leader um, and on the environment that they provide. But with with my local leaders as of as of now, uh, probably not. I probably wouldn't. I would probably just feel more comfortable keeping my mouth shut and just letting them be them and letting me be me. Right. Let me pose this a different way. So, I totally respect and honor and validate like to say like, I don't want to raise any kind of confrontation. I don't want to, I don't want to give these guys one more thing on their plate that they have to deal with. But in terms of like, like disagreeing inside of yourself, like holding a position inside your spirit that is different than something a leader is saying, do you feel pretty comfortable doing that? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And I think, I think most Latter-day Saints would kind of struggle with that question of even having some kind of internal disagreement. Um, and, and obviously you kind of comfortably saying, yeah, no problem. I can, I can hold a disagreement with a leader inside and, and not have any, you know, severe discomfort with that. I, um, 
I wanted to ask you, maybe even taking it kind of to like the top level of the church, and and I'm not trying to like push you to like be uh to come off sounding like, hey, I'm a dissident and I'm I have all these things I disagree about. I don't I don't think that's the case, but but if if you heard something at General Conference, I mean you talked earlier about your you know, parents pushing the pause button on general conference and asking you if you believe what was just said. Um, do you even feel like comfortable inside yourself just even disagreeing if the prophet were to say something at general conference of, of holding within yourself? Like, I'm not really sure about that. I would, I would feel comfortable. Um, because I believe it was Joseph F. Smith that it is our duty to, to question and to, to think about the things that the prophet, Prophets and apostles and our leaders say um, something that's kind of helped and I, I think is kind of funny. Um, since I got home, I, did, I was thinking about sustaining my leaders, right? And I absolutely sustain them. Um, but I, I googled the definition of sustain, and it says the first definition is to strengthen or support physically or mentally. Okay, so we, I raise our hand. I support my leaders, correct? But definition number two is to undergo or suffer something unpleasant or to to endure. And so, I don't know, in just recognizing that our leaders are imperfect, they are respectable men, and they, they can do so much good and so much service, but when we hear these little things that we disagree on, we can still feel comfortable sustaining them and, and looking to them as, as the leaders called to, to help us. I think you're right. I think, I think the word sustain is really, it's almost the perfect word for that question, isn't it? Isn't it beautiful? It is. It is. Um, I, I wanted to get your thoughts. I, I know being out in the mission field, you had to have encountered folks who, who had questions, who had doubts, whose testimonies either they felt or those around them perhaps judging and labeling felt like their testimonies weren't strong enough. What are your personal thoughts on doubt and skepticism and questions? I think question questioning and doubting is what allows us to expand. It's what allows us to grow in our conversion. Um, because if we're just sitting there all content, then then there's no progress. There's nowhere to go. But as we question and, and as we we research and as we study more and more, we're better able to understand why we are the way we are. And in dealing with people that doubted and questioned and had a hard time on my mission, there's one family that I met that I it just loved them so much. Um, one night, me and my companions were, were planning for the next day. And we were looking over a list of less active members and we were brand new into the area. So, but I, I saw this family's name and my thoughts just kept going back to them. And so I said, okay, let's go try them. Um, knew nothing about them. And so the next day we go over to their house and we open the door and they're like, Oh, the Mormon missionaries. And so we entered their home and they were just a beautiful, happy family. And we, we find out that just, Less than three months prior to us visiting them, the husband had been in the bishopric, the wife had been in the young women's presidency, and the completely active family. And so as we find this out, I, I asked them, I say, what happened? How were you so involved three months ago, and now you're completely, you're completely out? Um, and they shared with us that their daughter was transgender, and that with that in their family, they 
the environment had ch- at church had become hostile and they had felt so judged at church that they weren't able to continue going. Um, but rather they, they would stay home and they would study their scriptures and, and pray together and, and do everything possible that they could do to continue their conversion and to continue as a family growing. Um, it was really, really heartbreaking to see that they weren't able to, to keep going to church, but that they're actually planning on moving down to Florida so that they can continue to go and to not be in that, that judgmental environment. Talk, talk more about that. Like, like what were some of your thoughts? So you encounter this family, you hear this story and, and again, we as Latter-day Saints, we're taught to love others, but we also have this kind of defensiveness of our faith and defensiveness of our tribe that if someone doesn't fit in, we we tend to kind of label or, or think differently about them. But talk for a moment about what your thoughts were as they're sharing that story. Like how did, what kind of was going through your head as they're sharing this conflict that they're having? A lot of thoughts went through my head, but this daughter was 11 years old. There was no way that this was just something she saw at school, something she thought would be fun. I knew that it was something that was real. So it was so real to this family. And the, I, I just kept thinking that the last place that they should feel ostracized or judged should be at church. That's where we should be able to come together and to, to feel loved and supported. Um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Bill, but... Jesus didn't really say anything about the gays, right? No, no, he didn't. And, and the Book of Mormon written for our day doesn't either, right? Oh no, I see. I've, I've been looking for it. I haven't found it. So my <laughs> question is, when I don't, I don't know when we're going to let him back in. But I don't know. The Jesus I talked about in my mission, when I don't think he'd really be down for like not wanting them to be at church. You know, it really opened my eyes to see how how much of an impact we can have on those around us that the people and the, the the members of the ward probably won't ever know that this family stopped going because they felt judged. They're going to think that they stopped going because they started, they started doubting or they had so many family problems or, or whatever they think or whatever they judge. But I don't think we'll ever understand um, how much good or how much harm we can actually do by the judgments and the, the labels that we place on other people. Yeah, you mentioned earlier your mission president kind of living by the motto of not letting a rule get in the way of helping someone. And and I can't help but think Amanda if if a if if a ward like the ward we're talking about where this young person is transgender in the thoughts and feelings that they're having, I I can I can't help but wonder if that ward took on the the thought that let's not let a rule get in the way of loving someone or, or helping them to, to feel good about themselves. Um, how much better that ward and, and to be honest, all of us would be. I mean, it definitely would have changed this family, but it would have had a big impact on the ward if, if that would have been the mindset. Right. And I think like you say, I mean, Christ is calling us to, to just, as the scriptures in the DNC say to, to strengthen the feeble knees, to lift the hands that hang down. And, and that speaks to those on the margins, those who, who feel ostracized or marginalized and, and to kind of leave the 99 and actually go out and find the one. Um, just, I just appreciate like you sharing some of these stories. I think they'll be touching to the listeners. 
I, I do want to ask you, you know, as you're out on a mission and, you know, sometimes you're knocking on some doors, sometimes you're working with people on social media, which I want to talk to you about in a moment. Um, but just interacting with non-members, people of other faiths, maybe they have no faith at all. What, what were kind of your thoughts about folks as you encountered them when, and I'm talking specifically about non-members of the church? Um, in interacting with, with people that were non-members that didn't have a big desire to become members, um, my goal was to help them have this new perspective of Mormon missionaries, of Mormons. Um, one of my absolute favorite stories, one of my favorite experiences, um, was when me and my companion were volunteering, we were doing a, kind of like a soup kitchen in the basement of an African Methodist church, Okay. And so we're down there, we're giving people soup and stuff, and the choir director walks in, this lady walks in, and she goes, hey, where's my choir? And nobody responds, so I'm just kind of sitting there, and I, I raise my hand, and I'm like, well, I'm here. And she's like, oh, you're going to come sing with us? I'm like, yes, before, you know, before my companion can give me permission. And so we go up into their beautiful chapel, and we, we, um, stand in a prayer, hold hands, and, and we start singing, and we're doing like the whole swaying back and forth and clapping, and and by the end it was it was just such a fun experience. And by the end, these people had this had this perspective that Mormon missionaries they like they weren't just there to baptize and to make more Mormons and to talk about Joseph Smith, but they were there to to share that love for Jesus that we both shared. And so that was kind of that was kind of my goal and. And interacting with those that that didn't want to didn't have any plans on being baptized, and that's totally fine. We just were there to share that that common love that we had for Jesus. Yeah, it sounds like you you went into these situations without any kind of agenda to bring them in the church. Unless if they had a really big desire to do so, absolutely, it was it was about them and about and about Christ. So I I know in your home. You guys have CTR posted uh, in your living room, and and the average Mormon is going to go, yeah, yeah, CTR, choose the right. Tell me what that stands for in your house. CTR stands for Challenge the Rules. Challenge the Rules. And, and so knowing that, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on – on the commandments, right? So God gives us rules and God lays out uh, rigid lines of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. I, I wonder what your thoughts are on the rules and, and what you think our relationship is to God in terms of the rules he gives us. I've actually been having a debate with one of my mission friends about this, like just yesterday. I think the the comparison between loving the importance of loving others and the commandments is so beautiful. So God has given us all these commandments, correct? And but He trumps all of them with the two greatest: to love God and to love love our neighbors. And so I think so so often we have this battle in our head: like, yes, okay, it's most important to love others, but we have to keep the commandments too, right? But if we are truly loving others and we're loving God, the commandments, they just, they just kind of happen. They just are there. And it's a natural thing that we will, that we'll do as we, as we gain this love for our neighbors and for God. 
you're kind of hitting it again. It's the same idea. Like, don't let the rules get in the way of loving someone. Like, if if any of the third through five thousandth rule gets in the way of the first two, then there's a problem. Absolutely. I firmly believe that when we get to the judgment seat and we're up talking with God, he's going to ask us more about how we did with loving others and how we, we served those around us rather than whether or not we drink coffee or did any of these other commandments. Um, or sweet tea. Or, or sweet tea. Iced tea, you know, I nobody really knows. but you Or know. if we got out of our Sunday best and got in our pajamas. Hey, now. Hey, now. <laughs> I keep it. I keep that one. That's mine. Okay. Um, I I want to kind of finish up. Maybe throw more question at you. I mean, you, you, in New Jersey. I mean, I've, I've heard you talk both in this interview as well as outside of this, and I've heard you talk about these people and and how important just the basics of the gospel were to these folks, and and that these folks. It's a different, again, we talked about this earlier, it's a different dynamic than what we have here in, in predominantly Mormon Utah. I, I'm curious what your thoughts are when you encounter folks in the church. Now, we're going to step away from the non-members for a moment and go back to those who are in the, in the, in the church, but your thoughts when you encounter folks and they're different or they don't, they don't fit maybe like what we would call like, this is what a typical Mormon is supposed to look like and do. Uh, this is how they're supposed to behave. This is this is the behaviors they're going to have. Like, what are your thoughts when you encounter somebody who who is different than than maybe the labels we use or the assumptions we make? Like, what are your thoughts on a, on a Mormon who doesn't fit in the box? Um. Well, from my experience in New Jersey, very very few members actually did fit in the box, and so it was just really fun to be able to see how each member made Mormonism work for them because every single one of us, every single member is a cafeteria Mormon. Everybody chooses to focus on different things and to emphasize different, different aspects and and subjects. But it was so amazing to see how these different people, depending on their different religious backgrounds or different cultures, how they just made their Mormonism work for them and their family um, whether they were a part member family, very rarely did we ever find a family that was all members. And so just seeing the, the fun aspect of being able to, to adjust their lives and adjust kind of like the box, the cookie cutter shape of the gospel of, of the, of Mormonism to be able to make it work for them. I want to, I want to ask you one last thing, which is what is the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to you? What, what is, when you say the gospel, what is that? Love. The gospel is being and living as Jesus lived, which was loving others and never letting, never allowing a rule to become more important than the people that needed that love. The gospel is progression, is questioning and deepening your conversion constantly. And that's what the gospel is to me. Awesome. Amanda, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And, and I hope that the listeners can find some hope in knowing that, that if, if the younger generation is anything like you, the church is in good hands. Ah, oh, thanks, Bill. I just have one more thing to say. Um, for anybody that might be wondering or questioning whether they should go on a mission, um, if you have any desire to, if you have a desire to, to learn more about people, 
and to love people and to serve people, then I recommend that you should go. Um, go and enter the mission field knowing that you don't have to baptize people. You don't have to make more Mormons. But the point is to live the gospel, to help others strengthen their faith in Jesus Christ and to help yours as well. I served my whole mission with this goal of, of just loving others. And I saw all these different missionaries around me having baptisms constantly and, and them living strictly by the rules and, and, but reassuring and, and making sure that, that the point of a mission is to, to focus on others and to grow, to help them grow and to become better as, as well as yourself. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thanks so much, my friend. Thanks, Bill.